to another episode of talking upstream which is literally my favorite show that comes out on sundays on any channel of things that i subscribe to which is the majority of stuff uh and if you know who we are welcome back oh if you don't know who we are welcome my name is zach this is dylan we are some nobodies and we're content creators we're movie makers uh, uh soon uh we're on occasion we're, yeah we try hard uh and what we try to do in the show is we find some of our favorite creators some of the people that make some of the stuff that we're super interested in and we find out why they do what they do and how they do what they do and uh hopefully we'll pick up some some tips on the way and uh then we throw some stupid ideas at them and see uh if they're worth time really uh, mm -hmm. before we get to our guest though, Dylan, my friend, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right. I'm a little sun, uh, sunned out from this morning, but yeah, you know, not bad yeah. for a good, nice day out. Yeah. Right on. Uh, so if you watch season one, one of our most exciting guests we had on was Miss Jess Paul, uh, who is a, a beautiful creator of weird stuff, uh, great movies, short films, also, uh, non-edible delights. Uh, and through her, we've met some amazing people, uh, including, who we're going to chat with today. So Dylan, pretty please introduce our guest of the week. Yeah, so this week we're joined by Cedric Hill. He's a multi-talented writer, director, producer, actor, a lot of hats. How's it going, Mr. Hill? Um, not bad. Um, that actor hat is dead. Oh, okay. <laughs> Noted. Yeah, I've been acting probably 18 years. Yeah, oh. I shot that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He had to go. He had to go. Making enough. That's cool, Mr. Hill. Uh, first off, thank you very much for taking your time and talking to two schlubs like us. Sure. Uh, a couple of guys are trying to do the things that you're doing. Um, and yeah, so we we met you through Jess Paul. Uh, we did a lot of research. We found out that you've made some pretty interesting things. Um, but for those people that maybe don't know you, what is one of the things you're most proud of that you've created? Um, probably the the one of the last things we did was noisy. Um, which is a simple film about a guy who meets a girl on a train and you no know, rides the train home with her. It's not very, it's just a slice of life. And if you've ever read a train in New York on a Friday when it was hot, you look up and every once in a while you see something brilliant and beautiful. And then you look away and then it's like, ah, did that really happen? And this is what the story is. No, I absolutely love that. And that was one of the things that I found first about you was, uh, you know, it it has won multiple awards. Uh, you know, Noisy, like you mentioned, it's won the Gold Star Movie Award, uh, Best Romantic Short. Um, it's won the Stony Brook Film Festival as Best Short. Beautiful film. And the interesting thing is, you know, Dylan and I are always trying to create weird you know, premises or weird pitches to, to make things of. And we can never get down to just uh, the everyday slice of life, like you said. What, what was the inspiration of just having, um, you know, uh, I, I guess like not, not a simple thought, but just that easy everyday, you know, kind of let me let me watch this. Um, I was watching. I was actually on the bus coming home from Manhattan and a couple got on the bus. Woman sat down, man stood up. 
bus was packed, but it was her hands. Her hands were ripped, were ripped around his body so tightly. It felt like she was going to fall off the planet. And that was the thing that made me pay attention and look. And he kind of leaned back and signed something to her and her hands and her entire body relaxed. He just went home. And that's, uh, oh, that's the part about noisy. It's completely in sign language. Yeah, which is mm -hmm. a, a beautiful medium. I mean, to to, ha to be able to tell a story without, you know, words spoken is is so hard to do, but also a, a beautiful when done. Um, now, but it seemed like fr from the research we could find, you kind of popped onto, you know, the, the, the creation scene in 2006 uh, with Verse for Verse, where you like oh, yeah. wrote, you wrote, directed, uh, you know, started this. Uh, do you want to talk about this? Because this is a very interesting project, especially for Dylan, who's a big Shakespeare fan. Uh, verse for verse was a an idea when I was in college and I was actually acting. I would use to, used to listen to hip hop in the '90s and early '80s to get ready, and nobody could understand why. And I said, "You can't hear the verse." Um, people were like, "No." So I created a documentary about an experiment. I took three hip hop artists who had never been experienced to Shakespeare and three Shakespearean actors and I brought them together just to see what would happen. And we find out that, you know, most good hip hop is written in the same vein as Shakespeare. It's all blank verse. It's it's all make, mm. making the word pretty to, to create a point and an image. Um, it just made sense. It made sense to me. I mean, for all the Shakespeare that I've studied, um, hip hop, especially older hip hop, which was smart and social and had meaning and power behind it, that and Shakespeare meshed together and the one song that kind of tipped it over was uh he got game 1999 and um chuck d quotes king lear is like more than my eyes can see and ears can hear which was exactly what was going on which was exactly i was like oh i see what you're doing i bet and then he was right i mean he said we play corporate rent we, what was it we play mental rent to corporate presidents and here we are all on facebook Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. So, yeah, that was the inspiration of that. Is I wanted, in a lot of ways, I just wanted to prove a point. I said, a lot of people take Shakespeare and, and turn it into this thing that is only for a set group of people. But, you know, like hip hop is for everybody. It's, it's more than for everybody. We all should appreciate and understand that we have the right to Shakespeare, it is a right to be able to appreciate and understand. So yeah, that that was my my throw into the experiment. No, I love that. I mean, you know, and the thing is, like, a lot of people think they don't like Shakespeare or they won't like uh, uh, certain teachings or certain writings because it's just kind of outdated. But if you put it into a medium where people can learn and can understand, they most likely will enjoy it. Hmm. Now. When, now, uh, when making Verse for Verse, was that like kind of like a push for you to start making film or was that something you always kind of had in the in the back pocket? No, no. That was one of our, our big um, first films that we did as a production company. So that was one of our big first pushes. Yeah. Now, was starting a production company, was there kind of like a like a through line that you wanted to make sure all of your projects had? Was there something you wanted to promote more than other things or was just kind of like no, we wanted to make movies and then we started a production company and real realized do we really know how to make a movie 
And then we made movies, and then we broke them. They, we broke them all over the place. But like, maybe we should sit back and see what we did wrong. And as the production company itself developed, we realized we had a great eye for development of new work. So we found a full source of revenue by actually doing what we were doing for ourselves, for other people. And in the interim, we created better and better projects um, along the way. And now we're here. I mean, before everybody likes to say they're a storyteller, but we've been saying, you know, we, you know tell us the story since, you know, early 2000s. Like the back of our business card says, tell us the story. Yes. So, well, yeah. Actually, yeah. Now, you know, since 2006, you've, you know, directed, you've written, you've produced, you've kind of had uh, your hands on every single part of filmmaking and storytelling. What would you say is like your favorite part of, of all that? Um, I love directing. I do. I even say when I'm writing, I'm not actually writing. I'm just directing. I'm just copying down what I'm directing in my head. So, yeah, I'm, I'll say directing, but the entire creative process is something I really enjoy. Um, yeah. If I said I love them all equally, I'd be lying because there's many a day that I've been a producer and I was pretty sure that's why I was going to go to jail again because... <laughs> Man, <laughs> oh my god, um, stay on message, stay on message. What are you do it, you do it, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're we're slowly learning that kind of thing. We've uh, we've made a couple things and and trying to keep even just a small crew uh, on the same task has been uh, quite a task. So I, I can't imagine yeah, larger stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, now, you know, obviously we, we, we've only been doing things for a couple of years, making podcasts, but if mm -hmm. we were to talk to ourselves a couple of years ago, we would have so much experience uh, just by having hands on. Uh, what was something that you wish that you knew starting your production company that you definitely knew now? Um, oh, well, everybody's like, yeah, we're going to change the industry. We're going to make it better. Then the industry laughs at you and you go, oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Mm. Um, we didn't understand. You guys knew what you were doing. <laughs> My bad. We'll, we'll go sit on, over there in the corner. Uh, yeah, that was the one thing is that we don't have to change the industry. There's a reason why it works the way it does. And is it perfect? Absolutely not. Does it work? Sure as hell does. All right. Yeah, it, it, it's like good music. If you learn how to, if you learn the rules of the music, you can create almost anything within those parameters. And even when it sound feels like you're breaking the rules, you're not. So you know, it's it's that learning curve that that time you have to put in to get good at something that you know we always want to skip. We always want to live through the montage and then get to it. But uh, yeah, you actually have to go through it. Yeah. Um, now, one thing that Dylan and I kind of do when we have like, uh, you know, just some spare time is we kind of dream as if we had like a blank check, like if just somebody gave us a blank check, it was like, hey, make whatever project you would like to work on that you have in your back pocket. Um, what would be something that you would like to spend just an infinite amount of money on uh, that you've already worked on? All right. So one thing is the, the, the phrase more money, more problems is true. I do not like the idea of infinite money because two things happen. One, the more money you can spend, definitely the more problems you can have. The other thing is the part that got you that money sometimes gets lost because when you're broke, you got to throw ideas at things. You have to problem solve. 
you have to get creative. But when you can just throw money at it, that starts to go away. So you'll have a pretty film, but will it still have the same that same thing that it did that got you the money to make the film? Like, you know, I we had to find a subway car. Um, if I had the money, I would just would have bought, you know, the space, the railroad museum, and spent twenty-four thousand dollars a day. Yeah. The shoot. But now I got on a real subway car and shot it for real, the length of the trip. And it made the movie. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess that's, that's fairly interesting to think about because that's kind of what, like, you know, M. Night Shyamalan does. He, he said that he needed to, to feel the weight of what a loss would be. So he only puts his own money into projects now. Oh, um, I don't know about that. <laughs> right? Yeah, well, I mean, he, he's got that science money, so. Exactly. Um, I was like, uh, yeah. didn't say uh, that. Now, is there any like director or writer or any any kind of person that you take inspiration from, or really just kind of help shape who you are as a creator? Um, I like Aaron Sorkin just because he writes at the speed my brain works. Um, there's an older um, director, Joan Darling, who's actually my mentor, but she was one of the first female directors in TV. Um. I love the way she works. Um, who else? No, nah, I'm not going to say that because I'm like, <laughs> cool. Um, most of the, I mean, I love watching George Wolf, even though he's theater. Uh, Sidney Pollack, Sidney Pollack is my man. Nice. I love what he can do. And you can see it in his directing that he's not just a director, he's all those things put together. And you can see in his performance, you can see in his in his directing, you can see in, in his producing. It's, I mean, and not taking away from any of the the many great directors we have, but for me, those guys, those guys nail it. They nail it well. Now, when when it comes to choosing projects for your company to work on, do you have like a favorite genre of things? Like, what what is it about certain stories or things that really uh, like attract you and be like, okay, I need to spend some time working on this? Honestly, I do not have a favorite genre. It's it depends on the story. If the story grabs me, if the project is feasible, then I'll work on it. Because I mean, there are lots of projects we get in that we work on that I'm like, this isn't going to do nothing, and they're like, no, no, I'm like, okay. So I put it together. Here it is. This is how much it'll cost. This is where the best place to shoot it. And they'll go in the exact opposite direction and it'll fail. <laughs> Some stories look like they have no chance. And I said, there's something here. And they build it and then they're out, you know, out to the races. So we we come up with a lot of stories. And, and one of our things that we're really trying to do is work on inclusivity and make sure that even though we're two just, you know, cisgendered white men, uh, we're trying to tell stories from as many angles as possible. Now, do you have any advice for people that are trying to, 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 to make sure that they're not just being single, you know, minded or without uh, the, the hubris of I'm going to throw this in there? You know what? The first thing that everybody, especially if you're not a person of color or a woman, is you got to be okay with not being okay. You got to be okay with not being, oh man, we're the top dogs, we're, we're the people who run things. You have to be okay, like, oh damn, we might be shitty as hell. <laughs> it's okay though. Oh. Because once you start under, I mean, once you say something out loud, it becomes much easier. And then you start looking at it. It's like, wait a minute, this, this, and this. 
only makes sense if you live this life. But what does this life look like? What does it look like if I don't have all the privilege? What if it looks like if I don't have male privilege? Like one example is I can walk down the street late at night. Oh, most streets are black. They will try to kill me. But, you know, if there's a woman in front of me, I cross the street because I have to worry about it. It doesn't take much for me to cross the street. So, you know, when she looks behind herself, there's nobody there and she can walk peacefully. And that, I mean, it's, that's the best example I could do. It doesn't take much to consider somebody else's comfort and know what you have. I know that I'm a fairly large man. I'm fairly intimidating. I'm not worried about that late at night. But if you're a woman, any woman walking down the street late at night trying to get home, you got to look over both shoulders. So me crossing the street all of a sudden has changed my perspective of how I feel about walking down the street late at night. Like, oh, so maybe this next story, when I have a woman alone, I remember that moment. Remember, you get to cross the street. Not her. You get to cross the street. Let her go about her business. Change the world that you can change to let other people live freely. I guess that's the best. And ask questions. Just ask questions. Like, hey, what does this look like to you? And don't judge it. Just go, damn. I that that's that sucks. So the, I guess that's the best advice I can give. What do you want? Not you. <laughs> hey. Uh, I think that's probably the 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 best uh, summation of that that I've heard in a while. Um, now I I, I, te I tend to talk all the time, and I rarely let Dylan ever ask any questions or really speak. So, uh, Dylan, do you have any questions for Mister Cedric Hill? Fred, talk his ears off. No, you're fine. Um, I just got uh, questions about the process for your writing. Um, yes, particularly with noisy, which you said is completely in ASL. Um, mm -hmm. The process of writing that script, um, I was wondering if you could speak on any sort of challenges you encountered with something that is not necessarily traditional dialogue, but still includes conversation in a non-traditional way. So what we had to do was I had to write the script. Then I went to our ASL consultant who worked with us and worked with the actors for about six weeks before he ever started us to shoot. And we translated what I was writing into ASL. And we made sure the translation was accurate. So then we shot it. And then when we were done shooting, we had to take what we what we signed and then put it into subtitles of the way we normally speak. Okay. So it was like, it was a threefold pop process. Yeah. Interesting. Um, this, I guess, digging a little deeper, like the script itself, did you actually script out the dial? You script out the dialogue and not necessarily it's like in ASL. It's just, you assume the story would be in ASL when you wrote it. Um, I, what I did like is, I, yeah, I looked at some ASL, and I understood the spectrum of signing between very, mm -hmm. very big and very theatric and very conservative. And I found some place in the middle, and I wrote all the words down that ordinarily are hard to express by just the words. Okay. And then, so the meaning came out when it was signed. And then it translated into dialogue. It's a really interesting, uh, it's just an interesting challenge, I suppose, to give yourself. Um, but very cool. Um, you thought, has it kind of 
inspired you to do something similar with a future project or is that not necessarily how you tend to plan your workout no not really uh the big thing is i realize how expressive and cinematic sign signing is that was the big thing is she looked like her her life was going to end on the bus and he kind of leaned back and signed something to her and that one sign took care of everything that was wrong and i said that's something i need to put on camera that's how I, you know, in musical theater, they say when you have an emotion that's bigger than words, you sing it. So I took that model and I said, I have something that words don't carry well, but signing would. It worked. Yeah. When, when you got done with this film and you saw the reception was, you know, fairly overwhelming i mean this thing is up for a lot of awards what was that like having did you did you know while you were making it that you had something people were really gonna attach themselves to uh no no uh you know it, it's amazing that everybody wants to impress the crowd and sometimes i tend to just want to impress one person that one person likes it that's what i'm going for like nobody else is like i don't give a fuck what you got but if that one person likes it i win and now, from that one person lighting it, liking it, on May 25th, we're playing um, at the American Pavilion at Cannes. So I'm going to France this week. Ooh. Hang out, see what's going on. Right on. Oh, that's awesome. Love the Cannes Film Festival. Got my tuxedos, got my sparkly shoes. I'm ready to go. <laughs> now, this isn't your first foray into like a, a, some awards when it comes to short films or, or films. Uh, Dong, Dong Mai, right? Is that is that how you pronounce it? Oh, Dong Mei. Dong Mei. Uh, yeah. th this also won an award from 2016. Uh, this is a very interesting film. Will you speak on this film for a second? Yeah, it was written by Bob Messenger, and it's a psychological thriller, and it's based off of some um, true life stories. It's a woman literally just losing her mind, and in the loss of her mind, she creates this narrative. And this narrative plays out, and when you, when you finally get to the end of the movie... You realize what you're watching is this woman is this is the last thing she's seeing before she died because she od yeah I, that is so so cool um obviously not not the idea of it but the the project um when you read that script because what what was it that you did all right let me rephrase this when reading a script, are, are you someone that sees characters or scenes first, which let you know I I want to work on this? Um, shit. I think I see the whole thing at once, and that's what lets me know. If I can see the whole picture in like a flash, I'm ready for it. If I have to put things together, maybe might not be my cup of tea. But if I finish reading something and an entire flash, an entire movie goes by me, I'm like, yep, that's it. That's the one. Yeah. Now, is there a choice that you have to make whether you are going to direct something yourself versus have your team uh, like pick a, a director? Do, do you do that or is it like um, my team? My team is a, of uh, they're pretty much of the, under the impression if there are words on it, you should direct it. <laughs> mm. like, here you go. This All is right. what you study. This is what you train for. This is what you do. I also know how to talk to the actors. And I know how to talk to all of the, the technical artists because, you know, I, I was a PA for years and, you know, I, I ran around, I slung a grip, you know, I carried a wrench. I, I did those things. So 
conversations and production become a lot easier when you have a knowledge and the vocabulary vocabulary of each department. I, when I talk to my favorite DP, Valentina, I don't say, hey, give me a medium. I'm like, let me get to 45 because we're shooting with cook anamorphics. And she's like, I, right, but I got, I got something else. Why don't we shoot at 55? We get a little motion in it. I was like, ah, there it is. But we speak, we have the same vocabulary. So yeah, that makes it much more fun. So they they let me be in charge. Although I'm not in charge when I direct. <sighs> Never really in charge. <laughs> do a lot of what I'm told. Just sit in the corner, eat a sandwich, and what I do. Walk up. I'm like, can I can I do something? You can sit down. Thank you. <laughs> you know I know how to do it. Oh, you don't care? All right, that's cool. I'll sit, sit here. Now, when when it comes to like scripted things versus documentaries, do you have like a preference of the the storytelling when it comes down? Like, is is one a little bit easier for you? None of that shit is easy, man. I'm telling you, because you can have a documentary and all laid out. You're like, this is the story I want to tell. And you shoot for three years. You're like, damn, this is the story I got. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. narrative, it's almost the same thing. This is the story I want to tell. Yeah, but this is the story you got. So either we need to change the story you want to tell or we need to go with this. Which which one is it? So is either one easier or not? No. They all have their own unique set, set of challenges. Uh, but if you like filmmaking, you like filmmaking. You Because let's be honest, if you wanted to make a lot of money, you do something reasonable because we don't do reasonable things. <laughs> Yeah, true. Because like, what uh, what we do is reasonable. Yeah, one of the things I saw on, on your resume was uh, outwardly famous, uh, which seemed oh. very, very interesting. Yeah, that was a national theater tour. Oh, outwardly fabulous. Yeah, fabulous. Sorry. Yeah, we um the writer Pandora, who I work with a lot, uh, we realized that the new language of bullying was homophobia, so we created a one-woman show. It's 90 minutes, and we went all over the country with it. Yeah, that, that is one cool. of the things that I, I thought was so cool that you had on there. Um, now, obviously, we could talk to people all day about everything, filmmaking and everything. We don't want to take up people's time. Dylan, do you have any more questions before we get on to what we do in the show? I think we kind of covered what I had in mind. Yeah. Thanks for this I, part. Yeah, so, A, thank you very much, Mr. Hill, for answering all of our questions. Uh <laughs> weren't too annoying uh all right so what we do in the show is we try to uh pitch original ideas and see uh you know if we can start figuring out how people create things working in in, like i said a targeted process uh and i'm gonna let dylan go first because i'm not a hundred percent sure what i'm gonna pitch just yet okay sure go ahead (laughs) cool uh so just kind of i'm a big fan of genre Uh, i'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of uh i like horror that sort of thing so you have an average person and they die just okay. kind of straight across the board. They die and they become a ghost and they hang around the grave. They're in a funk because the world's moving on. Their family and friends have all kind of moved on. Their job hardly notices their absence. So they're just sitting on their gravestone as a ghost, just letting the world pass by one night. Mysterious figure in a sinister robe comes up, does a ritual, raises their body as a zombie and walks it off. The ghost is like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You can't take that goes and follows the necromancers and starts using their zombie corpse to commit petty crimes or something like that and has mm-hmm. to somehow get the necromancer to release his body from being a zombie. 
Okay, so if that's the premise, the first thing I'm going to, well, the first couple of things I'm going to ask you is, one, he's hanging around in the funk, so that means there's something in his life he hasn't completed. Two, why is why did the necromancer pick him, and what do the petty crimes have to do with whatever he needs to complete? Three, um, if you go on the basis that there are only two stories that are written by humans, somebody's coming to town, somebody's leaving town, why is he coming back to town? Like, what, what is necessary? What has to be done? Like, what's the thing that has to be done? And from there, I mean, if you, if you thought about it, it's fairly cheap. You need a cemetery. You need two actors, very little effects. Depending on the page count, you can, you can make that happen and how much you expand the story. No. Nice. Wow, this is some pretty good feedback. Good, que good questions. That's, yeah, that's no, for sure. Uh, okay, so mine is uh, a little bit bigger, uh, mm -hmm. unfortunately, especially now that I know more questions you just asked, Dylan. Uh, so I had this idea um, of this uh, this this new version of like a like a nuclear submarine, um, mm -hmm. and it was the first time this submarine is is launching. Um, it's like this new technology, and out of nowhere, the submarine just goes off of the map. It disappears. No one knows what happened to it. They don't know if it blown up, uh, whatever. <clears throat> now, the captain of the submarine uh, happens to be in a relationship with the head of HR of this company. It's like their own independent company. Um, and uh, this person, the HR, does not want this company to go under uh, because they have a lot of money spent on this new technology. So they're doing their due diligence to figure out what happened. When they get to the last reported spot, it turns out uh, that the submarine has actually just shrunk uh, due to whatever technology happened inside of that engine system. Um, and really, for me, it was the tagline, which was uh, the difference between uh, sunk and shrunk is just a solid HR, which <laughs> the, the more I say it out loud, it sounds very stupid. Uh, when, it, when I said it the first time, I thought it was very funny, uh, and I cannot get over that, so I need to work on this until it is actually something. Well, um, things you need to work on. Is it a comedy or is it a drama or it's is it a, a comedy? It's a comedy. Okay. Then, then have fun with it. I mean, I, I'd love it if at the end, the reason why they, they knew the ship was going to shrink, but you know, the captain and the HR person wants the, the company to really go bankrupt and then go out on their own and make millions. Like that's hysterical. Oh, I because. Love that. Yeah, if they if they're planning to steal it and they act like they're not, it's 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 lovely. Um, if they're just inept, or if one of them wants to get rid of the other one in the relationship, that's funny as hell. <laughs> like, what happened? I sent them on a boat. What happened to the boat? Shrank. <laughs> guess I can start dating again. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I mean, these are the things that we can get through if you choose one of these two uh, very loose uh, premises of a uh, thing. So, uh, Mr. Hill, pretty pleased uh, <laughs> entertain us and choose one of these two projects to work on for the next couple minutes. Let's do the zombie one because it's cheaper. Like the zombie right. one is a feature, one hundred fifty thousand. I mean, it's not it's not going for general release, but it'll get out there. Yeah, sell so it to streaming service. Yeah, all right. So Dylan won this one. That's cool. Now, Mr. Hill, do you get like pitches or or, or that kind of thing, or do you get full scripts? Oh, okay. Yeah, full scripts, just pitches, uh, one sheets, decks, all sorts of pretty things show up in the mail. 
Oh, cool. All right. Yeah. So you, you get you get a pitch and it's this weird thing about, you know, a zombie um, a ghost cemetery thing. Uh, now, I guess based on your questions, the first thing you think is, you know, uh, monetary uh, deficit. This is going to put you back. Right. Yeah. How much is it going to cost? Yeah. I mean, we, you're, you're always taught to write without budget in mind. But if you're actually planning to produce stuff and you're not in L.A. pitching to the studios, you better keep budget in mind. Write something you can't pay for, and it'll just be there. Just something you wrote that you can't pay for. So when you have an idea like this, and you know that it's not going to cost that much money uh, to, to produce, and it's going to be worth it, I guess. Um, is it how much hands-on do you have on this project? Um, I mean, obviously it's your your production company, but it depends on what team that the script comes up with. If the team, if it's just a writer, then they need infrastructure around them to make this happen. If it's another company or somebody who has a writer, a director, you know, another producer, maybe some possible money behind it, then my job really is to make sure we go from A to B. So from idea and concept to distribution. So I just keep you on the path. That's my biggest job. It's like, hey, this is great, but this isn't what you wanted to do. You wanted to do that. And it happens in production that you drift left, you drift right because it's cool, but a good producer will keep you on the path that you wanted to be on. The path is the script that we got, that we saw, that we agreed upon. The cool stuff is for another movie. Keep so, talking. Yeah. <laughs> so we have you have this pitch, and, and it's like I said, the zombie you know, graveyard thing. Um, do you have like a, an idea of whether this would be like a feature length? or a short film, or does that kind of come to you with the pitch? It comes with me to the pitch, because look, if, depending on where we're shooting it, depends on you know what it's like. I think we can, we can get a feature out of this story. I think it'd be very, very interesting, because somewhere in the film, you gotta show what it was like when he was alive, and that's the clue to what he needs to do. Or you can do it throughout the film where you're just doing flashbacks, like the places he were, and to, fit, to fill it out. So feature, easy. Um, location is the key. Now, when when you start writing things down, uh, do you, do you have like a like a like a style of of like there's people that do you know save the cat, and then there's uh, all many different styles of writing. Is there a certain style of story that you tend to? Uh, well, it depends on the story. I mean, a lot of people like four act structure, which is three acts with the with the, the elixir. Mm -hmm. Like Shrek is written that way. So, a lot of people like the hero's journey, which is 12, 12 step. And there's several, there's several ways to go. I mean, and then there's Aristotelian storytelling, which is a more masculine view of storytelling where it goes crescendos and drops. And then there's more feminine styles of storytelling where it goes up to a plateau, stays on that plateau and gives you ripples, but it never completely drops off. So depending on the story, the story dictates the structure from the beginning. I hope that the writer understands structure enough to know the structures there to help them, not to hinder them. Right. So, I mean, we can do seven act TV, like old network TV structure, if you're really feeling frisky, <laughs> I, which is a whole different way of making movies. All right, let, let's let's try to build the story out a little bit, Dylan. Uh, yeah. So you, you see, it, let, let's let, let's work within like the three act structure just to get a quick storyline and see how it goes. Um, since we have a couple minutes left, now what do you see as this main character? This this body. Listen to every person. Yeah. Um, some someone who you might not expect to have unfinished business, and maybe that's kind of the initial drive. Is like, why am I hanging out? 
Okay. And then it turns from what do I need to finish to I need to get this body back in the ground. All right. And like Mr. Hill said, uh, maybe you would have some more of before they were dead. Like, do you think that's more flashback or is that more like beginning storytelling? I want to avoid the beginning montage, like the montage at the start, because that's easy. It's easy exposition and it's kind of cheap. Um, So either. I mean, I'm thinking back to ghost a little bit where they have kind of the every once in a while, he'll be hanging around someone who's talking to a different person about when he was alive. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe something like that. And maybe, I mean, if we really want to expand it a little bit, could have a another character who's a medium of some sort who can act as his interpreter and then for some reason maybe he has to be secretive about the fact that he's dead and has to guide them into the conversation about him okay uh mr hill what what do you think as far as like an opening scene for this like how, how would you I like a couple, i got a couple statements on what was just said one okay. instead of one it should be all the people who talk about him and he has to give okay. them pieces. um two your main character might not be a man. Oh, yeah. Um, opening sequence for this, I wouldn't mind the, the, the body just hanging out by the grave. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the whole thing. Or if you want to start with the funeral of the person dying, and then they're dying, then night comes, and they're just sitting there going, what's next? Yeah, that, it asks a question that has to be answered by the rest of the film. I I do like an opening scene in a cemetery. I think that's pretty interesting, and I think you know, having you think too. Yeah, <laughs> really, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be surprised because what a lot of people don't realize is that you have to buy plots in cemeteries. So mm-hmm. any advertising for a cemetery works for the cemetery. Yeah. Oh, so you have to actually pay for a for a plot if you're going to. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you don't just get one. Yeah, you have to pay for it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you can rent a plot. I mean, if you want to hold, uh, you don't have to pay for that. Those guys are not cheap. But if you want a gravestone for someone to hang out on, good production design, find a corner of the cemetery, put some loose dirt, mm-hmm. little, you know, a styrofoam head. Well, they, you want them to sit on it. So, yeah, you know, nice headstone, have them hanging out. All right, so I like that. Let's let's open in the graveyard, um, and we're probably going to. Uh, I guess it's going to be one of those like slow pulls through a graveyard as you hear somebody shoveling, and then getting to uh, the the casket, right? And then we, when we finally get to them, we'll see the body, and then we'll see the the necromancer person uh, performing the spell, right? We'll hop right into this, sure, because right? I mean this is going to be a weird thing, so you should probably acclimate the audience right away. Now. All right, and then what? What do you think, Dylan? Do you think uh, what, what's the, the big punch that really gets people following this 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 story? Uh, would it be the bodies coming back to life? And because we got to get introduced to the ghost soon. I, I'm seeing this as pretty as pretty moderately comedic, where the ghost thinks like, "Oh, someone's coming to mourn." Wow, that's quick. Cool. All right, someone misses me. And it's a figure in like a black robe with like a red symbol on the front. And then they start doing their spell and the hand comes up and the ghost gets really indignant. It's like, wait a minute. Hold up. So, no, 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 no. I may be dead, but that's still mine. And then the necromancer either can't hear or pretends not to hear the ghost. 
Yeah. I actually then, then I think the opening should be maybe a ghost walking through the cemetery, kind of walking just like touring the cemetery they're in. Uh and then that's when they start hearing people uh messing with their grave. And I I do like I guess maybe um yeah, I don't I don't really think we have an idea for what this body is yet, but we should find out what they do in the past. Um so all right, so we got a little uh, character building here. Now, uh this is going to take a little bit more time than what we have. So, um when Mr. Hill, when you have like a like a crazy idea, uh, what, what is your normal process? Do you, do you have like weird creative ideas? I, I see a lot of your stuff is more on the serious side. Uh, please. Uh, my great great aunt on my stepfather's side through marriage is a slapstick comedy. Oh. Uh, two oh. women who are who who are witnesses for hire in New York. So in case your witnesses court doesn't show up so you can get married, they fill in. Okay. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It's yeah, that's funny. Um, if I get a completed strip script that it has a ridiculous idea, first thing I need to do is find me a room full of talented actors and let them read it without any warning, any direction. Just read it. And let's see how crazy this is. Because if they get it, we're in business. If there are holes in it, they're like, this doesn't make sense. Like, you know, you 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 have this, but this payoff, but you didn't earn it. And we can start then we can start filling in the holes. But, you know, for me, one of the things I want to see is I want to see that necromancer embrace that body once it comes back to life. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know why, but it'd be great if, you know, there was some kind of embrace and kiss with us. Like, that's my body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to work on this off screen and then maybe we'll just send this into your, into your mailbox and get some, yeah, uh, some more me, feedback Steve. off to it. Uh, All right. Uh, but Mr. Hill, thank you very much for taking any time uh, and spending it with us. We're really trying hard to do the things that you're doing. Uh, so we look up to you and really, really appreciate it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Send me a copy of this because I'm actually running to a student of mine is performing a show. <sighs> this, this shit isn't good. I'm seriously going to punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there it goes. Uh, do you okay. have like do you have like an Instagram or or a website? Yeah, yeah. Like I, my Instagram is wait, let me do it. Chill twenty seven seventy two. That's it. And this is chill twenty seven seventy two. Perfect. All right, so we'll put all we'll put all the links to that. Uh, your website, everything in the the show notes. So if you're watching this uh, and you like Mr. Hill, please find him, uh, follow him, find all the stuff, and. Uh, Please do yourself a favor and check out Noisy. Uh, it will change you. It'll make your day so much better. Uh, Mr. Hill, thank you once again. Thank we you, guys. Really appreciate mm -hmm. it. Uh, Dylan. It was a pleasure. Nice hey. to meet you. Yeah, thank you very much, man. Have, have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Uh, Dylan, do you have any words for our friends who are still listening or following? Nah. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Uh, so I'm out. I'm, I'm going to leave the room. Oh, oh you're good. I no, you're fine. Uh, my name is Zach. That's been Dylan. He's been Mr. Hill, but you've been great. Have a great day, everybody. Have a great day. Have Bye. Good, yeah, you know. <laughs>